This is Chris Brooks. Thank you for listening to this edition of Equip. Be sure and subscribe for free so that you don't miss an episode. For more information, visit our website, equipradio.org. Chris Brooks here, and I want to thank you for listening to this edition of Equip. Did you know that we are funded by the generosity of listeners just like you? As we approach the end of this year, would you please consider giving a special gift to this ministry? Just call 888-644-4144 or give at equipradio.org. Hey there, friends. Welcome to another exciting edition of Equip with Chris Brooks. I'm so thrilled that you've joined me today. Can you do me a favor? Strap on your seatbelt. We're going to navigate through the contours of culture, as always, with the lens of the biblical worldview on. But before we do that, let me remind you, this is the day that the Lord has made. He has given it as a gift so that you and I can rejoice and be glad in it. So let's do just that. Let's follow the words of the Apostle Paul. Let's rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I'm so grateful for you joining us today. Today, in many ways, is a very special program. You and I, like millions of brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the U.S., have uh, watched events unfold in the Holy Land that have been horrifying, heartbreaking, and uh, also prayer-provoking. And yet, for some, it has left us feeling overwhelmed with helplessness, wondering how can we make a difference. And I do believe that the key to making a difference and to actually being a force for the good in this very complex and difficult time that we find ourselves in is to be informed, in particular to listen to those who are there. There are a lot of pundits that have been offering a lot of rhetoric, some misinformed, some even dangerous. But there are also some trusted voices in the midst of all of the chaos that I believe have uh, shined through who have lived right there in the Holy Land, uh, even prior to the horrific events of October 7th, and have uh, been a voice of clarity for us. And so today I want to introduce you to a couple of those voices. One that you'll hear later is a Palestinian Christian living there in Bethlehem, the West Bank. But to start us out today is one of the most well-respected voices in, uh, in the Holy Land, and that's Joel Rosenberg. If you haven't heard the name Joel Rosenberg, let me just tell you a little bit about Joel. He's a New York Times bestselling author. He's written novels uh, about Israel, the Middle East, and North Africa. He's also the founder and chairman of the Joshua Fund. That's a U.S. US based evangelical nonprofit organization, uh, really with the mission of strengthening Christians in the Middle East and to bless Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. But Joel is also the co founder and president and CEO of the Near East Media Company. Uh, he's editor-in-chief of All Israel News and All Arab News. Joel joins me now. Joel, thank you for joining me, uh, brother. How are you today? Well, Chris, it's great to be with you, and uh, I want to bring greetings from Jerusalem, from both our Jewish and Arab-Palestinian um, followers of Jesus who are suffering as we're in this third month now of this war. But God continues to show up and... and uh, we have never needed the prayers and encouragement and uh, solidarity of our brothers and sisters in the U.S. and around the world more here in the Holy Land than we do right now. 
You recently, uh, in your role as editor-in-chief of All Israel News, uh, called on um, the government of Israel to prioritize outreach to evangelicals. Why is that so important, and what are you hoping will happen on that front? Yeah, it's a, well, it's a great question, Chris. I think that uh, we've seen a revolution inside evangelical Christianity over the last uh, 75 years or so. Um, I, I mean, obviously, in some ways it started sooner, but the point is, for, for, you know, for centuries, for, for 19 centuries, many Christians either couldn't read or didn't have access to their own Bible, right? And then, then there were whole denominations uh, within Christendom that didn't even encourage people to read the Bible for themselves, even if they had access and could read. So that, that, that was a problem. And, but we've seen this revolution in the last 7,500 years where the, the more people are actually reading the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, the more they're understanding God's love and heart and plan for Israel and the Jewish people, as well as for Israel's neighbors, right? And so, um, but there's been such tension historically between uh, Christians and Jews, uh, and particularly, I would say, between priests and other other so-called Christian leaders who maybe were Christians in name only, but were teaching and and practicing anti-Semitism. And this was such a problem, uh, I think, of the uh, the Russian Orthodox um, Church. Uh, I'm not saying every person in the Russian Orthodox Church, but my family on my father's side were Orthodox Jews that had to escape. Why? Because the Tsar was fomenting all these anti-Semitic attacks against Jews. Now, there's no way that you can tell me that that guy was a follower of Jesus, Jesus who was Jewish, Jesus who was an Israeli, Jesus who all his disciples were Jewish, uh, Jesus who came for the lost sheep of Israel. So, if, if a person is an anti-Semite, they're either not reading the New Testament or they're not practicing it. Um, and so yeah. I don't want to go on with other examples, but we've seen such a change. And I think it's why evangelical Christians need to lean forward in this time of surging anti-Semitism and, of course, the isolation and attacks against Israel and say, look, we don't have to agree with every single thing the Israeli government is doing or that our Jewish friends are doing, but we need to stand with them. We need to understand God loves them. And we need to help protect them from an evil onslaught. I appreciate you bringing that up because obviously this is one of the critical areas of discussion. And I want to uh, come back to the rise in anti-Semitism in just a moment. But before we do, give us a sense for many U.S. citizens as they think about the conflict there in the Holy Land They think of it simply as a clash between uh, Israeli Jews and uh, Palestinian Arabs, and many will assume all Arabs are Muslim, all all, all Israelis are Jews, uh, are uh, Jewish by faith. Give us a sense of uh, the Jewish Christian population there, the Messianic believers not only in size and demographic, but also what this moment has been like for them? Wow, those are some good questions. Okay, let me unpack them sort of one by one. Uh, you're absolutely right to start off by saying uh, not every Israeli is Jewish by, by religion or even by ethnicity, so that's important. 20%, for example, of Israeli citizens are Arabs, 20%. 
And it's not an apartheid society. The Arab citizens in Israel can vote. They can have their own political parties, and they do. They serve on the Supreme Court. They serve as CEOs of major Israeli companies. Like, uh, I'm not saying there aren't issues, (laughs) um, but it's not apartheid. So that's important. And uh, most of those Arabs who are Israeli citizens are Muslims, but, but, but there are many, there are about 200,000 Arab Christians. Okay. So that's important to note in terms of Jews. uh, Some Jews are atheists and some are ultra Orthodox, but there's also a group of what we would say messianic Jews or Jewish followers of Jesus. Now there was almost none in 1948 when Israel was reborn prophetically as a country, there were only 23 known Jewish followers of Jesus in the land of Israel on May 14th, 1948. That's, that's crazy. Like 23, wow. that's pretty wow. bad. Um, today there are about 30,000. So that's, you know, uh, a huge increase. But yes. if you think about there being 9 million or so, um, or almost 10 million Israelis, uh, and let's say 8 million of those are Jews, uh, 30,000 is not that many, but we're growing. Mm-hmm. And we're bold, and uh, we need prayer and encouragement. Certainly. How how have, uh, how do uh, how does that group in this current conflict situate themselves? Find themselves in a situation that is uh, so uh, tense, so global, but yet they're a religious minority in the middle of it all. Yeah, yeah, and the smaller minority one is in any community. Uh, the more vulnerable one might be. But God is using the Jewish believers in Jesus in an extraordinary way. Uh, and I, So let me give you one example. Seventeen years ago, my wife and I founded uh, the ministry that you referred to, the Joshua Fund. Um, yes. Why? To bless Israel and her Arab neighbors, including the Palestinians in, in, in Gaza and the West Bank, in the name of Jesus. So the question is, how do we strengthen the local believers? How, how do we help them care for the poor and needy by supplying them with food and other humanitarian relief supplies? So they're the hands and feet of Jesus. Um, and how do we educate the church worldwide about God's love and heart for Israelis and the Arabs? So that's what we've been doing in over 17 years. Chris, we've, by God's grace, I mean, it, it, it blows us away. Uh, that's not the right term these days in this war, but yes. it, 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 it excites us and encourages us that the Lord has brought into the Joshua Fund um, almost $100 million, which has gone right back out into doing this type of work, wow. which does what? So let me give you an example. There's an Israeli city right on the border of Gaza that was just devastated when Hamas invaded on October 7th. So, but we have a, there's a congregation of Jewish believers in Jesus in that community, preaching the gospel, making disciples, caring for the poor, um, and loving their neighbors. And, and um, the Joshua Fund has been, I've, I've known the leadership of that congregation for almost 15 years, and the Joshua Fund has been supplying them. So right in the middle of the rocket war, just uh, about a week or a week and a half ago, we, we took a whole team of people down, and we took fresh food as well as canned goods and toilet paper and diapers and all kinds of supplies. And we went door to door to the, the communities that they serve, right? Wow. These are people that don't believe in Jesus, but they're yes. needy, they're poor, and they're under fire. And so under fire, we took all these supplies in. Why? To strengthen the hand of the pastor and his wife to be, again, the hands and feet of Jesus. 
So grateful that Joel Rosenberg is there on the front lines and that he had a few moments to carve out for us today. We're going to pick up this conversation next up on Equip. As the year comes to a close here at Equip, we've seen so many lives change through our daily communication of the gospel. Help us to expand our reach by giving a year-end gift. Now, I know that some of you can afford to give gifts of $100 or $500 or even $1,000, and we thank you for your partnership. Really, any amount will help us in our mission to promote the gospel. Together, we can reach the world. Make a difference with a year-end gift today by calling 888-644-4144 or go to EquipRadio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. Today, I'm grateful to be joined by New York Times bestselling author and the president and CEO of Near East Media Company, Joel Rosenberg. Joel joins us directly from Jerusalem to talk about the present conflict between um, Israel and uh, Palestine, what's happening really uh, in, in, with Hamas in uh, the Gaza uh, and uh, how we as Christians can be informed and what we need to know in order to be ultimately helpful. Um, typically, congressional hearings, Joel, don't go viral. There are a ton of congressional hearings that are happening at any given time, and they uh, go largely unnoticed by the broad American public, let alone the global community. But recently, three Ivy League college presidents were called before Congress on behalf of the U.S. Department of Education over concerns of the federal, uh, a federal violation of civil rights uh, and protections for Jewish students on their campuses under Title VI, which provides funding, assuming that people are not being discriminated on the basis of a number of different things, including national origin, and religious faith. These presidents were grilled by a number of congressional leaders. One of the moments that went viral, Joel, were when these presidents were asked if it were a violation of their code of ethics for anti-Semitic rhetoric uh, to uh, be um, uh, used at rallies on their campus. And to the moral shock of of me and and many, many throughout our country, I would add on the right and on the left, these presidents were unwilling to flat out deny or or acknowledge that anti-Semitic rhetoric was um, in violation of their codes of conduct. Joel, I'm not sure if you've seen this viral clip. I'm not sure if you're aware of that congressional hearing. But but what what is your feeling hearing uh, these you know, massive multi-billion dollar Ivy League schools and their presidents unwilling to flat out deny anti-Semitic language. Chris, this is horrifying. And yes, we immediately began to report on it from a number of different angles. Uh, One of our uh, correspondents who's based in the United States actually wrote a a column called the, the Poison Ivy League, that, that this is poisonous, what's happening. Because as bad as what you just described, it's actually worse. I watched uh, clips of these of this uh, hearing, and so a congresswoman from New York asked, yes. and I watched it, uh, Three, all three uh, heads of these uh, Ivy League uh, universities, the most prestigious in the world, and she said specifically, do you consider um, 
language that calls for genocide against the Jewish people against your codes of conduct. And every single university president said, well, it would depend on the context. She, and the congresswoman said, what context? What would be the context yes. in which it would be appropriate to call for genocide? Well, if it's an individual attack, um, um, we, would, we, would, we would assess it, but it's really not against our conduct unless they take action. And the congresswoman said, you mean like they start actually doing genocide? It's only bad yeah, it's if they actually start committing genocide. This is insane. But it's the moral fog and it's the moral uh, rot within uh, much of the American higher education system. Let's not even get into, you know, K through 12 yes. at this point. But there's a, there's a divide right now between people who understand the Bible and what God tells us, as hard as it may be to live it out in our world, and people who've just completely abandoned the Bible as any point of reference, uh, not for yes. them just personally, but as – as, as a code of conduct for life. And this is actually what, quite scary. Most people here in the U.S. probably uh, until recently had uh, never heard the slogan from the river to the sea. Um, but yet this is yeah. now become uh, a, a tagline that, again, has gone viral and has spread as a liberation rally, if you will, for the Palestinian people who um, are argued by some as being oppressed by this great military power, Israel. What is dangerous and anti-Semitic, I might add, about this slogan from the river to the sea? Well, the, the, the term is generated from um, Arab, Muslim, and specifically Palestinian rhetoric over, rhetoric over the last um, hundred years or so. And what it means is that the Arab Muslim world is going to annihilate the state of Israel and any Jewish or Christian person that lives between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea. Um, and that's the, that would be the uh, that that's the genocidal form of this. Meaning, meaning when you say it, you might think, oh, well, you mean you want a Palestinian state next to Israel? No, that phrase means you want a Palestinian state instead of Israel. And the only way to have it instead means you've killed every Jew and Christian that lives, or even moderate Muslim who lives between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea. This is the genocidal rhetoric that is not, um, it's not benign. It is very, very dangerous. And what we're seeing on American college campuses, but also in, in high schools and stuff, is uh, teachers or students who are Jewish, or who are pro-Israel at least, being attacked by mobs and hiding in, you know, locking themselves in a closet or in a classroom or in an office to protect themselves until hopefully the police come and, and rescue them. Words have meaning, and meaning, and these meanings have um, they have consequences. And the idea, you know, again, it, if you if you took the, take it out of the Jewish context, if you were saying, um, you know, horrible racial epithets against yes, black people yes, or Hispanic yeah. people or anybody. We, or, you know, it's, it's the language of the KKK against African Americans, but fortunately, that's considered horrible. But suddenly, 
using that exact type of um, not just threatening. It's 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 a murderous incitement to violence against Jews. Suddenly, that has been okay, become okay on college campuses, um, on um, high school campuses, and even in boardrooms of companies. And you're thinking, what? Where has America gone? I mean, I know we already can't understand the difference between a man and a woman or a marriage. We're literally in the first chapters of Genesis is the battle over, is there a God? Did he make us men and women? Um, What's a marriage? And did God say in Genesis 12 that he has a specific love and plan for Israel and the Jewish people, starting with the Abrahamic covenant? But all of that is under ferocious demonic attack. And that's why Christians can't be silent. Silence in this case would be complicity. Uh, Joel, the, uh, my hope in having you on was to bring greater exposure, not from those who are here and, um, simply, um, giving their perspective from a distant land on what's happening there. But because you're there, I wanted folks to know about the, the great work you're doing through the Joshua fund and near East media, um, but for many Christians, Thank you. And, he- hearing and this conversation, point? yeah, Sorry, go ahead. No, well, I was just going to say, from, and I missed what you were saying. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> let me just say from, from many Christians hearing this conversation is um, again, I use the term overwhelming. So let's make it practical. What can we do? Those of us who do deeply care for our Messianic Christian brothers and sisters, for our Palestinian Christian brothers and sisters, those of us who really do want to bless Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus, as the Joshua Fund does, what can we do? Can we make this somehow uh, practical and bring it from the macro to the micro? Sure. Uh, that's a great question. Okay, um, how much time did you say you had? No, I'll, I'll keep it simple, and then you can you can pull on the thread if you want to sure. go further. But to keep it simple, the first is is let me underscore with a bright yellow highlighter what you just said about loving both sides. Too many evangelicals have gotten themselves in what I would call an either or mindset. They either have become real cheerleaders for Israel and the Jewish people, which I'm happy about that part, but then they become very dismissive or even derogatory uh, or even hostile to anybody on the Palestinian or Muslim or Arab side. That's not healthy. That's not Jesus. Jesus commanded us to love our neighbors. So people say, well, the Palestinians, they're not our neighbors. They're our enemies. Well, okay, so Jesus commanded us to love our enemies. And somebody yes. might go, well, that, that, well, that's terrible. That covers everybody. Well, welcome to Christianity. So, so it, it, too much of it is either or. Or other people are super pro-Palestinian. They're super – I don't talk about Christians. Or super pro-Arab, Muslim. Um, wonderful. That's a good thing. You know, people say, oh, you're, you're only pro-Israel. No, I'm pro-Palestinian too. Palestine, being pro-Palestinian means loving them, having compassion for what they're suffering in Gaza right now, um, and doing it in the name of Jesus, and thinking, well, their soul needs to be saved. They, they need food right now. They need, they need peace. Um, but it doesn't mean giving a path to Hamas. So the first step is understanding a biblical worldview of God's love um, through Jesus for Israel and the neighbors. That's The second thing is to understand that um, wanting peace doesn't mean 
ignoring the genocidal terror of Hamas. Gaza itself needs to be liberated from the reign of terror of Hamas. It's not just Israelis who are suffering because of Hamas. It's Palestinians themselves. So, yes, the Palestinians of Gaza voted for Hamas 15 years ago, but I don't think they understood what they were getting. So we need to have compassion, and and those are the first things. Then I would say just practically, this is exactly why my wife and I started the Joshua Fund 17 years ago, because we said, okay, we believe those things. Now what do we do? How can we help? And that's why it's called the Joshua Fund, is that think of it like a mutual fund. You think, well, I, uh, it's a nonprofit. I'm not saying you're getting a financial return on this, but you'll get a return in heaven, and you'll be doing the right thing, which is if somebody says, I want to give 25 or $50 a month, I wouldn't have the first clue about who to give it to, who's been vetted in Israel and the West Bank or Gaza or any of the neighboring countries, Christians who really love Jesus, whose theology is healthy and solid, whose financial books are legitimate, who are give, doing the money – using it as they say they will, who are really making sure. a difference for the kingdom. That's exactly what the Joshua Fund does and has been doing for 17 years. we become a trusted resource for many uh, people who say, I want to help, but I need to know where to give my money. Yes, to pray and to be educated, but also to make a practical difference. And just like most people don't pick their own stocks because they don't have the time or expertise yeah. Likewise, this is a moment where you don't want to just give to anybody who sends you an email. You have to sort of know, well, is my money going to – how is it going to make a difference, and can I trust the people yes. that are leading the organization? And uh, people can find out more at joshuafund.com. Well, we have that. Joshuafund.com. And we have that link on our website. Joel, uh, we pray, as I said, uh, for you, brother. Thank you for – the amazing work uh, that you are doing there, your family, um, and we are not ignorant of the risk to all of our brothers and sisters who are there. So please know that you're in our prayers. Thank you. That we love you and we thank you. Friends, we're going to take a, a, a break. When we come back, we'll hear from a Palestinian Christian about what life is like in the West Bank. Don't go anywhere. Much more to come next up on Equip with Chris Brooks. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. So grateful for you listening in on what in many ways is a very special edition of Equip. Uh, obviously, I have been trying my best to pray like many of you uh, for all of our brothers and sisters in the Holy Land, uh, both Jewish believers in Jesus, Messianic Christians who uh, live in uh, Israel, and uh, also our Palestinian brothers and sisters in Christ as well as we watch all things unfold. And I thought it was important for you to be able to hear from both of those groups. And so today, uh, in this particular segment of our conversation, I want you to be introduced to someone who I have uh, extreme regard for. He's a Palestinian Christian uh, and uh, someone who I respect, uh, Reverend Dr. Jack Sarah. He is the president of Bethlehem Bible College in West Bank there in Palestine. 
Uh, he has, for 13 years prior to his current role, he was senior pastor of Jerusalem Alliance Church as well. He has a BA in biblical studies, an MDiv in pastoral studies, and a doctorate from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary there in northeast uh, of the U.S. Uh, obviously, he's right in the middle of all that's happening right now. So bear with our connection, but I thought it was important to have Reverend Dr. Jack Sarah with us today. Jack, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Pastor. I'm so honored to be with you, and special greetings. Good morning to all of our listeners, wherever they are. Jack, before we get into current events, can you just share a little bit about your role at Bethlehem Bible College and about the college? Bethlehem Bible College has been here for about 44 years serving, in particular before the Palestinian Christians, but now we are serving with our online programs, all Arab nations, anyone that could speak Arabic. So we're serving about 200 students from all over the Arab world who are studying with us, and we are probably the only Bible college here in the country. Wow. Wow. And uh, how long have you been in that position as president? This is my 13th year as president. Prior to that, I was uh, teaching part-time while uh, pastoring a church and full-time in Jerusalem. Yes. Well, first off, I want to say thank you for what you're doing there. I've gotten a chance to visit, and you all are doing tremendous, tremendous work, and uh, I'm grateful for it. Uh, Let's talk about just the whole statement of being a Palestinian Christian. When I say Palestinian Christian, a lot of people, that's a whole new category for them. They often think about Palestinians, and they think Arab Muslims. Give us a sense of the the Christian population there. Well, Pastor, as you know, you know, Christianity started in Jerusalem. So for people yes. to be surprised that there are Christians here, it's quite challenging. You know, I lived yes. and I was born in Jerusalem, the city that, you know, where the Jesus came and gave the utmost sacrifice on behalf of all the world. And it yes. started in Jerusalem. The church started in Jerusalem and honestly never left. So since the year, you know, 30, 34 AD till now, there has been always Christians among the people who are living here. And so some particular part of history, they were the majority. Then later on, you know, they started to dwindle as uh, occupations and several rules came in here with the recent one, which is the Israeli. From 1942 till now, the numbers of Christians in general, and when I'm saying Christian, this is including yes. everyone that calls himself or herself Christian, you know, from 1948 till now, I would say we had a drop of uh, from 12% to not even 1% today wow. in the country, wow. due to the conflict, due to the wars, due, due to the occupation, due to a lot of issues that our yes. people have been facing. So Christians opted to immigrate and live somewhere else. So we are 1% now. This includes, again, all the Christians, and about, yes. I would say, five, four, 5,000 evangelicals who are living in this country now. You know, part of my hope, Jack, in having you on is I want those who are in the West to recognize the presence of brothers and sisters in Christ there that are Palestinian. I think so often when we think about the conflict, we have these binary categories that just aren't reflective of the reality. So let's talk about what's going on there right now. There's a lot of history, and I don't expect in a short interview for you to be able to cover all of the history there. But how do you want brothers and sisters in the West to think about and pray for our Palestinian Christian 
brothers and sisters who are there? You know, the country has been going in conflict. I would say uh, when you ask people here, they say our history did not just start on the 7th of October. It started a long way before this of going through conflicts, at least now 75 years. But with the recent ones, you know, Christians have been caught between the rock and the hard place, if uh, I may use that uh, again, yes. yes. where specifically Christians in the West Bank and in Gaza, I mean, there is Christians in Gaza, there's a small number of Christians in Gaza, about 1,000 of them, that also were affected, impacted, and many, and several of them who got killed, even believers, you know, from the Baptist Church, the Orthodox Church, and the Catholic Church in Gaza. Yes. So this is how close it is. Uh, so whenever there's a conflict, Christians as well are being impacted, being affected, being uh, as well suffered, you know, because of this. And the Christians here sometimes are misunderstood because you know, most most people think this is a war between Islam and Judaism or Israel Palestine. But yet, you know, when you think about the Palestinians, that there are also a number of Christians in there, so they are they are also impacted. For the virtue of they are they are being Palestinians and Christians at the same time, and as whatever our people are going through, we go through as well. Specifically, those of us who live in yes. the West Bank and Gaza. Yeah, I think that my heart breaks as I hear this because I know that buried within your response is the reality that you all are really caught in the middle of a conflict that is so profoundly affecting each and every family. Just give us a sense of what life in the West Bank has been like for Palestinian Christians. I know that that's where you are. You can also give us a sense of what life in Gaza has been like for Palestinian Christians since the conflict began. Well, since the conflict began uh, on October 7th, of course, with the killing of Jewish people on the uh, fronts of Gaza and the settlements, and the kibbutz in around Gaza, which is we're really sad. And we, this is something really heartaching for us as well as the Christians. Yet the response uh, which came after this was as well as much as horrific as it is, with closing on the West Bank, closing on Gaza, and at the same time, since day one of the war, the West Bank has been shut down. Specifically, Bethlehem, where the majority of Christians live, every entrance, every exit from Bethlehem has been shot by the military army, Israeli military army, which meant that all those Christians who are inside had no more access out of Bethlehem. And many people have lived between you know, Jerusalem and Bethlehem. They live between these cities and they commute to their work or to their schooling or to their daily work, like, yes. for example, the college, where we have students who would come from Jerusalem. So it has been very difficult for them to come, teachers who come from Jerusalem has been very difficult for them to come in and out uh, during these days. So this is just a sample. In Gaza, you know, we have as well uh, uh, former students, we have contacts, we, we used to have entered there. And many of them, you know, as the war started, they had to take refuge, especially that Gaza, where Christians live, is a bit in the north, the area that uh, Israel was bombarding. So what happened then, uh, most of the Christians went, left, uh, ran away for their life and hid in the church. There's three churches in Gaza. We have a Catholic church, an Orthodox church, and a, and a Baptist church, the Southern Baptist church. Okay. And uh, most of the Christians opted to go and uh, take refuge in the Catholic and the Orthodox church, about 250 at the Orthodox church and about 550 at the Orthodox church, uh, sorry, Catholic church, and the rest like went south. But sadly speaking, you know, there was a bombing of the Baptist hospital, and there's a bombing at the 
Orthodox Church, where about uh, 17 or 18 Christians got killed, including a couple of believers, people, uh, you know, like my one of my colleagues, my close colleagues, the, one of the directors mm. of one of the, mm. you know, branches of the college, her two aunts uh, got, uh, one of them got killed, the other one got injured, and later on, another uncle of hers got killed. So this is, yes. you know, close to us. This is people that we know close eight days ago, an old elderly woman who was, uh, actually, I used to go and I used to visit the Baptist church in Gaza, go and play the keyboards, and she would come beside me and play the piano, teach me a little bit. She was a music teacher, Ilham. Actually, she went to check on her house and got killed by an Israeli bullet sniper that shot her. And she was left to die. You know, this is a sweet believer that really kind of like, all what she did in her life is praising Jesus. And she got killed. And uh, we know her personally. And that's how, you know, when when things like this happen, although, you know, you say this is only one and there was thousands who were killed, but it still impacts this community of Christians that is still in there. Yes, yeah. Yeah, well, you, you're talking about such a small, tight-knit community, and uh, and, and as I hear you t- tell their story, I, I recognize that these are not just numbers, these are not just statistics, these are friends, these are family members, these are individuals that you hold near and dear to your heart, and uh, as a result, I think the scriptures are clear in that we, who are brothers and sisters in Christ, ought to share in the affliction with one another. And so when we say that things are massively complex there in the Holy Land, I hope for those of you who are listening that you understand that this is far more than just simply uh, trying to pick a side and hoping that one side prevails against another. Obviously, we should all be praying and all wanting for evil to be uprooted and all wanting justice But yet, when you hear of brothers and sisters in Christ dying who aren't military people, who are simply people who have praised the Lord, served the Lord, and yet losing their lives, uh, this is devastating and and heartbreaking. Jack, I'd like to ask you to share with us how ministry is going there. So if you can stay with me, friends, we're going to take a short break. Uh, While we're taking this break, I do want you to go to our website, go to our social media pages. Uh, You can find out more about how you can be uh, praying. We promise you that we will try to keep you as up-to-date as possible. But can you take a moment uh, while we're on this break to say a special prayer for Jack Sarah, for Bethlehem Bible College, and the many, many Palestinian Christians that they serve uh, and that are being impacted, some who are even refugees in Uh, the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church there who are displaced in the Southern Baptist Church there. Uh, We're going to keep Jack. We're going to be right back with more right after this. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. Um, I'm honored today to be joined by Reverend Dr. Jack Sarah, president of Bethlehem Bible College uh, in the West Bank. Uh, The college serves many Arab-speaking Christians, uh, and Jack uh, has uh, dedicated his life uh, to faithfully serving Christ there in the the West Bank. Uh, And uh, really, many of the students as well uh, are in Gaza, and right now many are displaced. Uh, Jack, uh, when we hear in the West, 
that Israel is asking for uh, civilians in Gaza to move to the south. How should we see that? Because when I hear that, I think, well, where are they going to go? Um, but I'm, I'm not there, so I don't know. So how should we see when Israel is giving forewarning and saying, hey, move to the south because this is where our military is going? Well, uh, Pastor Chris, you know, Gaza, Gaza has been uh, one of the most con- highly populated uh, area in the whole Middle East, even in the world. 2.2 million people live in less than 50 square miles, and uh, most of them are condensed within refugee camps. Uh, you know, two-thirds of Gaza has been refugees who had come, fled for their life back in 1948 for places like Ashkelon or Beersheba or some of the cities that, you know, uh, are close to Gaza now. So it is refugee camps that are very tight, you know, with everyone, you know, living on the on the top of each other. And uh, this includes south of Gaza. So which means, you know, when they're asking people to go down, that means you're putting, uh, you know, another million, which is now actually 1.7 million who become who became refugees all the way in the south and uh, some of those places. And uh, what had proven is that no place in Gaza is safe, even in the south, it's not safe. And um, nowadays, I mean, it is uh, uh, after the the war had been assumed, you know, after this short truce that we had, uh, even in the south, there was bombing and and, uh, killing. And, uh, you know, certain neighborhoods had been really bombarded, very difficult. And the sad story is, again, you know, I know that even if Israel is trying to go after, uh, you know, Hamas fighters or, uh, you know, military, there are still uh, a lot of innocent people that are going to go as a collateral damage. And it's, uh, you know, we say the word as as easy, you know, collateral damage, but it's not. These are lives. These are people. For sure. That, uh, you know, their lives count, I'm sure. You know, it is not easy to accept that. You know, yes. twenty thousand people so far, and then the count still goes on. You know, every every hour there are people dying, and yes, um, yes. it's it's heartbreaking to be honest. I I don't know how can we justify it. It cannot be justified by any means. Yeah, and uh, and and obviously you're living in it, and even now as you join us there from from the Holy Land, I recognize that it is uh, right in the midst of it, physically, emotionally spiritually. I, I do want to give opportunity, though, for you to tell how the church has been serving one another, because I think part of the beauty of a, a moment that is so full of brokenness, so full of heartache, part of the redemptive beauty is how the believers have been serving one another. I was talking to one of our good friends, mutual friends, Pastor Nihad, just about uh, the ministry uh, to one another. How, can you share a little bit about how that's been happening? Well, uh, you know, since uh, this start, the first week of the war, uh, we called for prayer meetings uh, almost on a daily basis. There was a prayer meeting. Uh, those of us who cannot, you know, be in one location because uh, there are areas that have been dangerous, so we would meet over Zoom and pray for a couple of hours at least. You know, this is, uh, you know, Palestinians, Arabic speakers, people from the north, people from the south. And then there was as well different meetings where Messianic leaders uh, and myself, like now we're meeting once a week at least, a group of us, including yes. like what you mentioned, Pastor Nihad and other Messianic believers uh, who are pastors, who are leaders, who are, I know them are heartbroken now. And as well, they, they don't know what to do, you know, with everything going on. 
it's really like you said the com- the complexity of things that there are people at the at the odd side of this conflict yet we are uh, reaching out to each other encouraging each other and praying for the kids of each other and whenever something is hitting our community not i wouldn't say this for them for everyone but at least there is these bridges that have been built uh, between yes. the communities of the believers uh, as much as we could because again you know, politically or even when you discuss it theologically, you cannot make sense of it. But when it comes to brother to brother, sister to sister, and fellowship, you know yes. there are those uh, you know bridges that are being built, and it is yes. important because sometimes you know this would keep us. Uh, this, I mean, for me, I'm speaking person now. It keeps my sanity. It keeps me seeing the other, seeing the you know uh, uh, the Jewish friends, Israeli friends who are there or not friends, as well in the face of those friends of mine. So it, uh, you know, it humanizes kind of like the feeling. And I hope this is the same for our uh, Israeli and Hispanic uh, brothers and sisters. Because it's it's important to keep our sanity, our love for each other. And and to some extent, sometimes there are difficult things. You know, the honest truth, I have to remove at least 40, 50 people from my Facebook feed because I felt them, and these are not brothers, just people from around the the world who don't understand anything about here, because instead of propagating for peace and and, and reconciliation, they're kind of like feeding more things into the world, which is not needed now. We need people to counsel us, we need people to pray with us, we need people to to stand in the gap with us that uh, God would have his mercy and something will happen here for uh, for the people on the ground. I want you to know, uh, Jack, we love you. We love Madeline. We love your children. Uh, we are praying for you sincerely. And I wanted to hear your voice. I wanted to have you on so that others could humanize this moment. It is really easy for us to follow the rhetoric of news reporters and pundits and propaganda and we have to be careful on what we read and see on social media because there's so much distortion and manipulation in our day but yet I wanted uh, you to be able to tell the story from the ground and please know that this is not in vain uh, that you sharing this story helps us to know how we uh, can pray and so if you don't mind I'd like to pray for you, and I'd like to pray for our brothers and sisters in uh, the West Bank, in Gaza as well, and for peace. Father, I thank you for Jack. I thank you for his family. I thank you for his service there. Lord, um, things seem to be unbearable, but yet it was uh, your, your, your servant, David, who says that even when he walked through the valley of the shadow of death, you were with him. I pray, Lord, that you be with our brothers and sisters in the West Bank and in Palestine. I pray that you would encourage them. I pray that in the midst of their suffering, they would know the God of comfort. And Lord, I do pray for peace, that, um, Lord, you would lead officials and leaders in Israel and um, in uh, Palestine to come to a place of peace so that life can be preserved. May your name be lifted high. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, Dr. Sarah. I really appreciate you joining us. Thank you. We'll continue to pray. Friends, thank you for listening to this edition of of Equip. I hope that it's been helpful. Until we're together again next time, as always, remember Equip with Chris Brooks is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.